welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And this week we have a miss a few missing persons or peoples. People, peoples. Missing peeps. Missing peeps cases. Um we have any business to cover before we get into the episode. If you would like to be involved with a group magic working, DM me about the Green Mushroom Project. Awesomeness. Also, be sure to join our Discord server if you're interested in just hanging out and chatting with us or playing games with us. We got a few people already joined and looking forward to being able to actually communicate with some of you guys through voice chat or play some games together or something like that. Yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. I can do that. So let's get started with our episode. Chad, we're going to start with you. What missing case do you have for us? I am covering the Mary Celeste. This is a uh, British brig that went down or went miss. The crew went missing in 1872. Um, now, I am going to be reading this uh, from the Sismon- Sism- yeah, Smithsonian Magazine. The Smithsonian? Smithsonian. Uh, just so I get all the information correct. So, uh, just so, so here we go. The British brig Del Gracia was about 400 miles east of Azores on December 5th, 1872, when crew members spotted a ship adrift in the choppy seas. Captain David Morehouse was taken aback to the discovery that the unguided vessel was the Mary Celeste, which had left New York City eight days before him and should have already arrived in Genoa, Italy. He changed course to offer help. Morehouse sent a boarding party to the ship. Below deck, the ship's charts had been tossed about, and the crew members' belongings were still in their quarters. Their ship's only lifeboat was missing, and one of its two pumps had been disassembled. Three and a half feet of water was sloshing in the ship's bottom, through the cargo of the 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol was largely in, largely intact. There was a six-month supply of food and water, but not a soul to consume it. Thus was born one of the most durable mysteries in nautical history. What happened to the ten people who, were, who had sailed aboard the Mary Celeste? Through the decades, a lack of hard facts has only spurred speculation as what might have taken place. Theories have ranged from mutiny, to pirates, to sea monsters, to killer water spouts. Author Conan Doyle's 1884 short story, based on the case, posited a capture by vengeful ex-slave in the 1935 movie featured Bela Lugosi as a homicidal sailor. Now, a new investigation drawing a modern maritime technology and newly discovered documents has pieced together the most likely scenario. A sea monster. Aliens. It was just a bunch of semen. (laughs) Ah, ah. (laughs) 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 The ship began its fateful joyage. (laughs) It wasn't very joyful, was it? (laughs) A three-hour tour. (laughs) The ship began its fateful voyage on November 7th, 1872, sailing with seven crewmen and Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, his wife Sarah, and the couple's two-year-old daughter, Sophia. 
the 282-ton Brigantine battled heavy weather for two weeks to reach the Azores, where the ship's log last entry was recorded at 5 a.m. on November 25th. After spotting the Marie Celeste 10 days later, the Dia Gracia crewmen sailed the ship some 800 miles to Gibraltar, where the British Vice Admiralty Court convened a savage hearing. Salvage. A savage hearing. <laughs> where? <laughs> That's savage. What a savage thing to do. <laughs> where a British Vice Admiralty Court convened a salvage hearing, which was unusually limited to determining whether the salvagers, in this case the Dia Gracia crewmen, were entitled to payments from the ship's insurers. But the Attorney General in charge of the inquiry, Federal Frederick Soli Flood. These are great names, by yeah. the way. I know. These are great 1870s names. <laughs> Suspected mischief and investigated accordingly. After more than three months, the court found no evidence of foul play. Eventually, the salvagers received a payment, but only one-sixth of the $46,000 which the ship was insured for. Oh, my goodness. And, like, from inflation, that would be like a billion dollars yeah. today. <laughs> It was 1,700 barrels of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the story of the Mary Celeste might have drifted into the history if Conan, Odo- if Conan O'Doyle... If Conan Con- O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> if Conan Doyle hadn't published J. Habakkuk Jeffson's statement in 1884, his sensationalistic account printed in Cornhill Magazine set off waves of theorizing about the ship's fate. Even Attorney Attorney General Soli Flood revisited the case, writing summaries of his interviews and, and notes. But the mystery remained unsolved. McGregor picked up the trail in 2002. There's so much nonsense written about this legend, she said. I felt compelled to find the truth. McGregor's four previous investigation documentaries, including The Hindenburg Disaster, Probable Cause, in 2001, Applied modern forensic te- techniques to historical questions. There are obvious limitations for historic cases, she says, but using latest technology, you can come to a different conclusion. For her, the Mary Celeste film, McGregor began by asking what didn't happen. Speculations concerning sea monsters was easily easy to dismiss. How so? How could that be dismissed? They don't have anything to dismiss that. The ship's condition. An intact... With full cargo. Seemed to rule out the pirates. One theory banded about the 19th century held that c- the crew members drank the alcohol on board and mutinied. Mutiny! After viewing crewmen's descendants, McGregor deemed that scenario was unlikely. Another theory as- assumed that the alcohol vapors expanded in the Azores' heat and blew off the main hatch, prompting those on board to fear an imminent explosion. But, McGregor notes that the boarding party found the main hatch secured and did not report smelling any fumes. True, she says nine of the 1,701 barrels in the hold were empty, but the empty nine had been recorded as being made of red oak, not white oak, like the others. Red oak is known to be more porous and therefore more likely to leak. So nine barrels of alcohol, that's why there's, you know, three... Three feet of water. Three feet of water. It was actually three feet of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it could have been Vikings. 
Because they wouldn't have been able to fit 1,700 barrels on their <laughs> ore ships. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think they would have at least taken one say, or two, though. I would think at that point they throw a rope on the ship and they haul it behind them. i say you, most raiding parties, you yeah. think, would have taken the ship at some yeah. point or somehow. That would be what I would think with pirates, too. Like They would have just taken the ship. Yeah. Yeah, they can usually get a lot more for ransoming a ship than they can for the cargo. Yeah. <laughs> As for the homicidal sailor played by, played by Lugosi in the, mis- the mystery of the Mary Celeste, he may have been drawn from two German crewmen, brothers of Volkert and Boy Lorenzen, who fell under suspicion because none of their personal possessions were found on the abandoned ship. But a Lorenzen descendant told McGregor that the pair had lost their gear in a shipwreck earlier in 1872, and they had no motive, McGregor says. This sounds like the kind of voyage Madame Blavatsky would have survived. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe this is one she was on. <laughs> After ruling out what didn't happen, McGregor confronted the question of what might have. Abandoning a ship in the ocean, open sea is the last thing a captain would order and a sailor would do. But is that what Captain Briggs ordered? If so, why? His ship was seaworthy. It wasn't flooded or horribly damaged, says Phil Richardson, a physical oceanographer at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts and an expert in derelict vessels, whom McGregor enlisted in her investigation. The Discovery crew sailed it, and so it was in really good shape. Briggs' life before Mary Celeste offered no clues, says McGregor who visited the captain's hometown of Marion, Massachusetts, and interviewed descendants of Arthur Briggs. The seven-year-old son the Briggs had left behind so he could attend school. McGregor learned that the captain was an experienced and respected in shipping circles. It was never a question that he would do something irrational, she says. Did Briggs then have a rational reason to abandon ship? McGregor figured that if she could determine the precise spot from which Briggs his family and crew abandoned, abandoned ship. She might be able to shed some light on why. She knew from the transcripts of the Mary Celeste logs, log slate. Now, this was a time when they would navigate by map, and they, they would navigate by the stars. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, like if a, if a captain abandons ship, and he doesn't know how to navigate by the stars, and he forgets his GPS, he'd be screwed. But you can't even use that as like an excuse for this period, because... If he would have abandoned the ship, he would have been able to navigate without yeah. even compass and map and everything. Yeah. I've got a theory building in my head, but I want to hear some more of these okay. other theories to see if any of them are close to mine. <laughs> she knew from the transcripts of the Mary Celeste log slate, where notations were made before they were transcribed into the log, that the ship was six miles from and within sight of a, the of the... Azorius Islands of Santa Maria on November 25th. She knew from testimony of the Dia Gracia crew that 10 days later the ship was some 400 miles east of the island. McGregor asked Richardson to work backwards and create a path between those points. Richardson said he would need water temperatures, wind speeds, wind directions at the time, data that McGregor found in the International Comprehensive Ocean Atmosphere data set the I-Codes, a database that stores global marine information from 1784 to 2007. That's crazy that they record that long. 
mm-hmm. definitely from that back well, not long ago that they kept all that information. The fact that it hasn't been destroyed in a fire somewhere because that seems to be what happens to like court cases <laughs> or you know evidence for big trials. <laughs> it, it goes yeah. missing quickly. <laughs> or heck, even even uh, businesses are only supposed to keep yeah, even only tax keep forms for seven for days. For seven, days seven, yeah. seven, seven days. Seven years. You're like, get this shit out of here. <laughs> only 200 and... What is that? 16... 223 years that they kept records and is used to study climate change. I want to know how <clears throat> oh, they store that information. Therefore... We know how to store other things. Yeah. She, her yachtman's husband, Scott, and Richardson drew on the data to determine whether Mary Celeste could have drifted from its recorded location on November 25th to where the Dia Gracia crew reported finding it on December 5th. Their conclusion was yes, it could have been, could have, even without the crew to sail it. We found out it basically just sailed itself, Richardson said. Which thing about this is the sail was halfway up as well on the boat. Um, that was so, something that I found interesting in that case that the like, sail so was half the up. The sail was still picking up wind and able to push it farther than just the current and stuff. So that's kind of an inter- interesting fact as well. Yeah. At that point, McGregor considered the fact that a captain would most likely order a ship order a ship abandoned with within sight of land. Since Santa Maria was last land for hundreds of miles, it seems safe that the Mary Celeste had been abandoned the morning of November 25th after the log's last log entry was as written. But why? On this point, McGregor says Attorney General Solia Flood's notes are crucial. He wrote that he saw nothing unusual about the voyage until the last five days, which is why he transcribed the ship's log starting five days from the end. The ship's log is believed to have been lost in 1885, so those transcriptions provided the only means for McGregor and Richardson to plot the course and position logged for the ship. The log should have been stored with the atmospheric information. (laughs) See? (laughs) The two then reconsidered the position in lights of I-codes, data, and other information on sea conditions at the time. Their conclusion, Briggs was actually 120 miles west of where he thought he was, probably because of inaccurate chronometer by the captain's calculations he should have sighted land three days earlier than he did solely flood's notes yielded one other piece of information that mcgregor and richardson considered significant the day before he reached azorius briggs changed course and headed north to santa maria island perhaps seeking haven the night before the last entry in the ship's log the mary celeste again faced rough seas and winds more than 35 knots still mcgregor reasons Rough seas and faulty chron- chronometer wouldn't by themselves prompt an experienced captain to abandon ship. So was there something else? McGregor learned that on his previous voyage, the Mary Celeste had carried coal and that the ship had recently been extensively refitted. Coal dust and construction debris could have fouled up the ship's pumps, which explains the disassembled pump. With the pump inoperative, Briggs would, would not have known how much seawater was in the ship's hull which was too packed for him to measure visually. At that point, says McGregor, Briggs, having come through rough water, having finally and belatedly sighted the land, and having no way of determining whether his ship would sink, might have issued an order to abandon ship. But, like Attorney General Soli Flood, McGregor can't leave the story of Mary Celeste alone. 
She is continuing her investigation for a book. The research goes on, she says, because I have been touched by the story, and as I hope other people will be. All right, so Amy, I'll start with your theories. Well, Cthulhu popped into my head. My Lord and Savior? Yes. Um, You know, wanting human sacrifices in order to, you know, survive. Which makes a lot of sense, right? Which is like a sea monster. But he's got the, the, the tentacles and he flies and he could pick them up. And... Right? Okay. okay. So that one. Except Cthulhu wasn't even made into a thought form <laughs> until H.P. Lovecraft pinned it on paper several decades later. Okay. He had to get the idea from somewhere, <laughs> right? No, I also had the thought. They had a two-year-old child on the boat. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if maybe the child got sick and because they were off or somebody like somebody got sick, but I would think the child or the wife got sick. And since they hadn't seen land in three days, maybe it was like a last-ditch effort. But then I wouldn't see the I entire crew. I think they would just crew. take the whole boat. Yeah. They wouldn't ex- take the lifeboat, in my opinion. And my thing is, if you haven't seen land like you're expected to, and three days later you still haven't seen it, I wouldn't expect them to get on a lifeboat to try to find land. Yeah. Because yeah. at that point, they're not 100% sure where they are. Yeah. And a lifeboat seems like a very bad idea to try to find land when you have you know an entire brig that you can take. Yeah. That's going to move faster. It has all and, of your supplies on it. Yeah. And, um, and these, I mean, the, the lifeboat and the crew were never seen again. Um, so you would think if they had maybe tried to abandon ship to get to, to Santa Maria Islands or whatever... They would turn the whole ship and... They would turn the whole ship or, you know, they if they would have made it, they would have been found and this wouldn't be a mystery anymore. Yeah. What if... What's the movie with the ship and Steve... Titanic. <laughs> and Steve, Steve Martin... No, not Steve Martin. Uh, Martin Short. Uh, Captain Ron. All no. right. What if they actually never got back on the ship after they left Santa Maria or Santa Santa Maria Islands? Yeah, the boat was stolen mm. from the island. Now it it is customary that they park whenever they're approaching a place that isn't a harbor. They would drop anchor, anchor yeah. far away and then take the lifeboat, lifeboat in to shore. But you think so they the crew would have been found? What if they took the lifeboat into you know the docks or whatever because they couldn't bring the whole brig in? Yeah, and they were robbed and killed, and then oh. someone went to take the boat and then couldn't. Didn't you know? Only it was like a single you know one or two people. They couldn't take the whole boat. They couldn't figure out how to you know. They pull do in, a whole cruise worth of jobs and they pull into Santa Maria. The boat jacked. Dinglebutt forgot to drop anchor. <laughs> Everybody else got on the boat and they headed to shore. As they're heading to shore, they see the boat <laughs> sailing off. On Fuck, I forgot to put it in park. <laughs> <laughs> then the rest of the crew was like, I ain't taking responsibility. The captain's like, I can't afford that payment. They're like, we'll just disappear. <laughs> on Forrest Gump. That's my boat. <laughs> As it's crashing into the dock. <laughs> but... 
I like the fact that somebody just forgot to drop anchor in. <laughs> Shit, I put it in neutral, not park. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, and that would make sense why the it would it makes kind of sense why the lifeboat's not on there if they took the lifeboat in to shore. You still think they would have taken some of their personal belongings though. Now, the navigational maps and stuff like that were missing off the boat, but that was the only thing not on the boat besides the lifeboat. Like those are the only things missing from the boat. All the crew's belongings, their food, all that were still on the boat. You would think if they were going in, you know, for a day or two to the docks, they would have at least taken some of their something, yeah. some or, of their personal. Or effects. if they were abandoning ship, they would have at least brought food, something for the baby. To yeah, eat. you would have yeah. think at the least some of the baby's belongings and stuff. You know, I would think even if you thought the boat was sinking, like at a slower rate or something like that, you still think they would have gathered much personal stuff as they could that they could fit on the lifeboat. Unless they did drink the nine barrels and they are completely intoxicated and just not thinking straight. Yeah. And maybe they're intoxicated, and I have watched many documentaries on, like, ocean mirages. Maybe they thought they saw land, and they're all drunk, and they're like, hey, let's go check this out. And they hop in there and then sail off to nowhere. But you wouldn't think the entire crew would go. That's the thing with me is they should someone the entire would crew the boat, somebody yeah. would stay on the boat. You would think at any that time that is a good point. Like, <laughs> I mean, even if yeah, even if they were to see, <laughs> see land, I mean, okay, they send the captain and a couple of the crewmates yeah. into the dock to one figure out where they're at, gather any supplies, yeah, and then meet back on the ship. They wouldn't think they would all go. Yeah, I would think there would always be at least a couple of people who stay on board. Yeah. Plus, I'm still thinking a 10-man crew on a brig is... That's pretty light crew on the... Yeah. Brigs are big. It really big is. Boats. Yeah. So, that's kind of weird to me, too. But It's an interesting case, because I was actually almost going to grab that one. Do you guys think they could have been abducted by aliens? I am always for aliens. It's like, what if, what if they saw a ship in the sky... They freaked out. They got on the lifeboat trying to get away, thinking, oh, no, we're not going to be able to get this big old thing out fast enough. And then they were still they were either, beamed up. either beamed up or, you know, something happened and the lifeboat sunk. Now I'm thinking of the Wizard of Oz when they're going through and there's a little rowboat and the guy's <laughs> in the, the tornado and he's just yeah. rowing the boat through the air. I, I like that one, too. They were picked up by some greys and... yeah. But yeah, I just read that one. I was like, that one's pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty weird. And for being that old and still one of the nautical, like in the history of nautical disappearances and stuff. Yeah. I like it. I, I think it adds a lot of possibilities. And I don't think that there's any theory out there that really can be 100% thrown out. And one of it being as old as it is, so there's not a whole lot of facts and evidence you can really check. Just going off of the transcript, <clears throat> which who knows how much of that information was written down correctly. It was a plesiosaur. Plesiosaur. It was Nessie on his way back from mm-hmm. uh, from vacationing from, in uh, uh, Lake uh, uh, Lake Champlain. Champlain, yeah, and on his way back to Loch Ness, yeah. and that's <laughs> that's probably what it was. Now, did this happen inside the Strait of Gibraltar? No, they were uh, 120 miles. Okay. I think is what it was from Gibraltar. That's where the crew that found it <coughs> from the Dia Grecia uh, sailed the boat to. Uh-huh. That was about 120 miles from the Strait of Gibraltar. So we can definitely rule out sirens because they're only in the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. 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 Wooden sirens. 
I mean, it could have, you know. Giant squid. Yeah, could have been Moby Dick. <gasps> what about his dick? It was really big. I thought you were going to say it's really Moby. <laughs> 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 if I knew any Moby songs, I'd start singing them right now. No. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting case. I like it. It just yeah. opens up a lot of questions. And no way of telling for sure whether or not it could have happened or not. Because the logbook was missing. Because they didn't store the logbook with the atmospheric, atmospheric pressure stuff. <laughs> See, that's what I don't understand. If they're heading west and he thinks, oh, I've missed land, let me go north. You would think he would keep going west because he's going to hit Spain or Africa. Or <laughs> yeah. if he goes north, what is he hoping for? <laughs> Icebergs. <laughs> Oh shit, we're still out here. Uh, where the fuck are Well, what if his compass Greenland? was messed up and his compass was telling I'm him saying. he was going west and Well yeah. Yeah. I mean it very well could have been something. I mean I mean it's kinda of with like the Bermuda Triangle and stuff is a lot of the compasses and all that stuff tend to go haywire, so what if there was a thing of the you know, crack in the earth or whatever, gas leaked out and caused all that to go. That's you know what they claim with the Bermuda Triangle. All yeah. his his chronometer and compass and all that stuff started going haywire, and they just started turning, thinking, "Oh, we're just gonna go this way." And you know, maybe he thought he was turning around, trying to make it back to Santa Maria, and didn't end up not knowing where he's at. And then, you know what, though, but, I he, a, but I you still think they would have taken the ship instead of the lifeboat? But but yeah. he would have been able to figure that out either based of where the on the stars, yeah. either the sun or the nighttime stars, which way was north or west. And you think he would have wrote something in the log about, you know, crap, we've lost, we don't know where we're at. You know, this was the last place we were at. We've been sailing for this long. Or not not west, but east. Yeah. They were going east. And I, st- I got it messed up. Yeah. And, I mean, you would think in the logs it would have been like, they would have said something about why they were abandoning ship unless it was an absolute emergency. Yeah. Which is weird, too. But if it was an emergency, I think they would have taken... As much stuff as they could. Like, it, I don't reason know why the boat would still be saleable if it was an absolute emergency. There used to be a phenomena, do 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 do, which was called Saint Elmo's fire, which is a mysterious light phenomena where people would abandon ships thinking that the masts were on fire because light that looked like flame would be up at the top of them. And that would account for the the uh, sail being half up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they were trying to either lower the sail because they thought the mast was on fire. Yeah, or, yeah. Here's another theory that it has popped into my head with the the sail being half up. What if, let's say, there were crew members who were left on the boat when they went off to yeah um, Santa Maria? They jacked the boat. <laughs> you left the keys in it, you dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> Say they jacked the boat. They were going to go sell the alcohol to pirates. I don't know. But let's say there's one, maybe two of them left that are on the boat. And I'm going to say that they probably aren't the smartest people in the, in, in the ship. They're going to raise the sail. I have seen many movies where they go to raise sails and they get knocked off from swinging ropes and... <laughs> poles and stuff what's to say that the two idiots didn't just get knocked off and they're in the ocean yeah 
And then the rest of the crew. I still think the crew. There would have been reports of the crew would have the, been the, gotten help. The boat them. gone missing and yeah, all that stuff. What if they killed them? That's what I said. I, I think you know maybe they got robbed on the. I think there's probably some kind of mutiny or something like that, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I, there are so many interesting theories that you could come up with for what happened with the information that we have. Poseidon was angry. I like this St. Elmo's fire thing. Yeah, that is kind that of is a, good, a pretty good theory. Especially if they'd went through a storm, thought maybe the, the ship had it. been struck by lightning or something, yeah. and then they get a light phenomena of what essentially looks like fire at the top of the mast would explain why they lowered the sail and then abandoned then they, ship. And abandoned ship in a hurry. I yeah. mean, that especially w- a ship that's has what. Did you say 1,700 barrels of alcohol? alcohol? Yeah. Let's <laughs> like, get the commercial, hell out of here fast. And commercial alcohol? I'm not sure what that that's, is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, the only thing worse would be if there's a bunch of gunpowder on board. <laughs> yeah. that, and that would make sense why they just left their belongings. They hopped off onto the lifeboats. The this captain pretty, grabbed the navigation maps and so hopes to be able to help. Help to find the way find back. Find the way and, back. Yeah. And, yeah. And then something could have happened to the ship while they were the lifeboat was they were going. Yeah, I mean they were in rough seas with high winds that very easily could overthrow a lifeboat. Yeah, I don't know what does the weather report from the day say. I don't know, but I bet yeah. you it exists yeah. because they well, have that information. Yeah, <laughs> I would have think if they were expecting it. Why don't like they make the whole plane out of the black box? Where <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I, re- I? I literally just heard that. Not like oh, so many comedians use that. Well, I know. I literally yeah. just like today or yesterday, <laughs> I heard that exact saying, and I was like, <laughs> and then you just said, "Fuck!" I was now confused on where I'm hearing it. There, deja vu. Well, now let's but. go from the sea to the skies. How's that sound? Without semen, we don't have semen. We oh. have airmen. Eh. Not as cool. <laughs> November twenty third, nineteen fifty three, was a stormy night. The U.S. Air Defense Command <sighs> noticed something on their radar that couldn't be identified. It was over restricted area over Lake Superior. It's a bird. It's a plane. An F eighty nine C Scorpion jet. From through Air Force Base in Madison, Wisconsin, took off to intercept the unidentified object. <laughs> Pilot First Lieutenant Felix Monclaw and Second Lieutenant Robert Wilson was observing the radar. The men were never seen again. What followed, according to Donald Kehoe, from the uh, the former Marine Corps. Naval aviator and UFO researcher who wrote about the incident in his 1955 book, The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, was... I wonder what it's about. (laughs) Was. About tea. One of the strangest cases on record. Once they were airborne, Lieutenant Wilson had trouble tracking the object. It kept changing course. Ground control was directing the aviators over the radio. The jet gave chase traveling at 500 miles per hour, pursuing the object for 30 minutes and gradually closing in on it. The ground radar operator guided the jet down to tw- jet down for, from 25,000 feet to 7,000 feet, watching the jet chase the object on the radar. When the crew caught up to the unknown object, about 70 miles off of Keweenaw 
Point in Upper Michigan at an altitude of 8,000 feet. At this point, the two radar blips converged into one. And then, as the official report states, the radar returned from the F-89 simply disappeared from the ground control intercept station radar scope. The object was also indicated that it veered off and vanished too. The United States Air Force in United States Coast Guard and Canadian Air Force conducted extensive search and rescue efforts. No wreckage or sign of the pilots were ever found. The Air Force official news released about the event was that or was delivered to the Associated Press that stated that the jet was followed by radar until it merged with an object about 70 miles off of the Kiwan, Kiwina, Kiwina? I think that's how it's said. I'm probably saying it's wrong, but uh, point in Upper Michigan. The Air Force soon retracted their statement and changed its story. According to the new statement, the ground control operator had misread the scope. In fact, the F-89 had successfully completed the mission, intercepting and identifying the UFO as a Dakota, a Royal Royal Canadian Air Force C-47 aircraft, flying some 30 miles off course. Uh, Lieutenant Moncola, or Felix, uh, probably stricken with vertigo, crashed into the lake during the return to base. Canadian officials refute that account. No flights had taken place in the area that night. The case file from Project Blue Book, the Air Force's own UFO investigative team. I was about to ask you if you looked in the Blue Book. Reiterated the Air Force assertion that the jet successfully accomplished its mission and that the crash was an accident, probably caused by an attack of vertigo. It attributed an abnormal radar behavior to unusual atmospheric conditions and deemed in deemed the inability to recover the wreckage as understandable given the depth of the water. Meanwhile, investigators from the National Investigations Committee and on Aerial Phenomenon, NICAP, dis- <laughs> discovered that any mention of the mission had been expunged from the official records. And the Aerospace Technical Intelligence Center official line on the case was there's no record in the Air Force files of sightings at Kinross Air Force Base on November 23rd, 1959. And there's no case in the file which even closely parallels these circumstances. In the absence of a thorough and satisfying official explanation, civilian saucer groups, as Project Blue Book would call them, developed their own theories. According to one, the jet had crashed into the UFO, UFO's protective beam like a concrete wall. Others speculated that the jet may have been scooped out of the air and taken on board the spaceship. Perhaps so, the capture, perhaps so that the captured men could teach the alien captors the English language. In 1968, there was a local newspaper report of a military jet fragments discovered near the shore of Lake Superior. But this find was never verified. In 2006, Adam Jimmons, claiming to be a representative of the Great Lakes Dive Company, corresponded with UFO bloggers and members of the UFO community. He claimed that he had not only had an airplane wreck, but not only had an airplane wreck been discovered in the area, 
but a metallic object resembling a chunk of flying saucer as well. Dun, dun, dun. UFO researchers soon exposed inaccuracies in Jimin's story and concluded that the Great Lake Dive Company did not exist. Eventually, Adam Jimison, too, vanished without a trace. Dun, dun, dun. dun. So, I'm not going to lie, when you're talking about the airplane chasing the UFO, I was picturing the Scooby-Doo thing where they're running in and out of the doors, yeah. <laughs> chasing each other, and they're like all of a sudden be chasing the other one. And what happened is they both came out and just bumped into each other. Yeah. yeah, and then they're like, ah, and one <laughs> fell over and the other one. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm just picturing just the Scooby, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, just a jet chasing a UFO through doorways and back and forth. <laughs> oh, And then Grand Pilot, no, my left, not your left. I don't know which way you're facing. <laughs> Years ago, I was at my friend Sarah's old house, and it, it had one of those where you went through the kitchen and it did like a circle, you know, and then through the living room and then yeah, all the way through. And the the girls were chasing each other. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hear, whack! Because <laughs> they just smashed faces. <laughs> that's what I'm just picturing and that's what happens. It was an accident between the UFO and the plane and the plane probably went down. But it was like... Yeah, left, right, left, right. He's listening to the ground control. Like, I don't see shit. Wish, take a right. Are you sure? No, no, the other right. Oh, shit. Now, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You can't spell lost without LT. And in this case, there was two of them. <laughs> one was but, the captain, one was the navigator. You're just screwed. But, I mean, that is that is very bizarre. Yeah. Well, what I found... Like, what drew me in on this case that made me decide to do this case, not only was UFOs, like, the number one theory, because that's what they were looking for, but the fact that they've still never recovered any wreckage. And if they were only 70 miles from this point, you would think that at some point something would wash up. Now, Lake Superior is a big lake. There's been but, a couple plane accidents in Lake Superior that have never been found. There's one that's a charter like a charter plane that was last seen going over a town like 30 miles north of where it's supposed to be and then a large explosion was seen and but and things like over the weeks later things were washing up on shore but no plane has ever been found. But things were washing up on shore. But no like no debris of the plane but yeah like Passenger stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. You but, would think that there would be something that would wash up on yeah. shore. A shoe, a helmet, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. A helmet's probably attached well, to their heads, but you know. When you're dealing with these military jets, too, jet fuel float. No. Yeah. And it's highly flammable. Yeah. So. You would think if it would have been an explosion, there would have been fire on top of the lake for... Yeah. A decent yeah. amount of time for someone to spot it. And, yeah. Somebody and, it, said, and if there hadn't been an explosion, you would see the big old slick on top of the yeah. water. Well, and this days. pilot had well over well over 250 hours. Yeah. With like almost 100 of those hours being in that type of plane. Yeah. So he knew his plane. Oh, absolutely. Which is why he probably was able to go from 25,000 feet to 7,000 feet without yeah. any issue there. The only thing I could think is, okay, we're dark, we're at night, it's stormy. Maybe he got did get vertigo or got disoriented and he thought he was pulling back up 
and he actually yeah went down Damn. and crashed into the water that I way. I wish I could remember no. what what the date was of when the that chartered or that commercial jet went down. Because what if what happened is the unidentified object was that plane that had gone off course, that they had lost the actual air traffic control, had lost contact with. Yeah. What if it showed up on the military radar? They didn't know what it was. And they intercepted. Since the jet and they intercepted and they ended up running into each other. What is it, the 1950s? No. I, I don't remember when it was. I, I find it, it very strange they only sent one jet. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of weird too. They like, didn't scramble multiple. Multiple like, like one or two, like, they do that like two now. or three, but rarely. There's usually always two. You always have well, to have a said, wingman. That's what I said. They usually scramble multiple jets now, but I mean, you would know, even think in the fifties they would have sent out multiple yeah. jets. I mean, you got to think of the t- the missing one we did before. Yeah, where there was like a the, fleet the of training four. went, and then they sent like four more out, and then. Those four disappeared. I, yeah. <clears throat> they'd, they'd move in entire squadrons, you know. What makes this the most fishy for me, though, aside from just the, the facts, it's the fact that... <laughs> Not the facts, but the facts. It, the, the U.S. government, or the U.S. Air Force, released a statement and then, instantly and then almost instantly recanted that, changed their story... And the story they came out with, they didn't even take the time to collaborate it with, with Canada. <laughs> Canada's like, oh, Canada's no, like, that sorry. That didn't happen. <laughs> well, no, that didn't happen. Sorry about yeah. that. But no, that wasn't us. Which just goes into that disinformation stuff that we talked about mm-hmm. to where they they make it so freaking confusing that you just don't well, know what then, to believe. The fact that the guy who said he spotted uh, the aircraft and a metallic thing off of a UFO his company no longer exists or never existed and he's disappeared. Exactly. He fell on. He found, he found out what happened. (laughs) And they're like, Nope, you're going away forever. And you never existed. Yeah. Like it's one of those things that I almost feel like when the, when the air force or the government sends out one story and then recants it and changes it, like they do now, like that's just like, normal anymore. Oh, that's just standard operating yeah. procedure. <laughs> but, uh... Throw them off the trail. One of these is right. <laughs> it's like, as soon as that happens, I automatically just, I don't trust them anymore. One of us tells the truth, <laughs> and one of us always lies. <laughs> it's like that game, you know, say three things, one's, the, one's a lie, two are the truth. That's what the government's doing every time. We'll give I out one report, one will be true, one will be a lie. We'll leave it to... The yeah. people to decide. As soon as they come out with the second one, I'm like, all right, both of these are a lie. You guys are full of shit. And it's probably in between. Yeah. Well, the truth is always in between. Read between somewhere. the lines. But that to me is just like, all right, there's something fishy here. Now, whether it's actually like alien UFOs or if it's maybe some other top secret stuff that happened that we aren't supposed to know about, because that's one of my big theories too is yeah. that. Well, if he's, if he's 8,000 feet. I mean, he could have very well crashed into a, like a weather balloon or something. It totally was a leather balloon. I don't uh, know why they didn't use that one. He, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's any number of things yeah. that fly at that altitude. It could have been a... When did you say yours went missing? Uh, November 23rd, 1953. Because oh, the one I was thinking of, the Transcontinental Service Flight 2501... 
went missing June 23rd, 1950. Okay, so what if that's like a... Time loop a, or time... A, a time warp type <sighs> thing? Or Ooh. what if that's like... You know how we talked about how um, in the Rimblesham case, how maybe there's different areas that are where they they come from, like their little yeah. warp holes? What if there's one over Lake Superior? Could be. And the jet just found it. Because that, that UFO was going to it, and the jet, jet chased just it chased and it and chased it right into it. Because, yeah, that was... Possibly. This one was covered on... Um, oh, what's his name? He's a archaeologist. Uh, he used to do the... Jeff Gates? Jeff Gates. Or Josh Gates. Josh Gates. He did this, and there's a company that's trying to find it because they... <clears throat> She fell in love with the story and wants to for the families figure out what happened. And she's pulled up like she's got all the stuff that's been found that the families couldn't handle having. So she's got like a coat of somebody, a kid's doll, and stuff that were on the plane. And they went searching for and stuff like that. What? That's where I first heard about that. But yeah, it looks like it was Northwest Orient Airlines Flight Twenty Five Hundred One was a DC four propeller. Pro, 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 prop liner operating its daily transcontinental service between New York and Seattle when it disappeared on the night of June, June 23rd, 1950. And it was last seen mm-hmm. going... It lost radar contact because of a stormy night and then was last seen flying low above a city on the coast of uh, Lake Superior and then was never seen again. What color were the clouds? They were yellow clouds. They didn't say. It was a time warp. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. It could have just they that military plane could have crashed into like a low aircraft. Yeah. I mean, this was nighttime, but people fly all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and prop planes like that don't go very. I mean, I I suppose and I want to say higher than eight thousand feet. And I want to say from what I remember from that episode. I think it was Destination Truth or something like that, was that the plane had dropped down to around 7,000 feet because of the the storm, and they couldn't see anything, so they dropped lower to be able to try to get below the clouds. So, and that just dawned on me that everything was 7,000 or 8,000 feet, which is what the fighter jet was on when disappearing as well. Hmm. Or... what, What about the thing that drifted off north on the radar? What if Canada has anti-aircraft missiles set up along the border? <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, in 1953, they probably did. And so Canadians were, they were covering their base. Like, we didn't, <laughs> nah, no, didn't do that. No, it wasn't us, eh? <laughs> well, sorry about that. It and so that us. we could keep our peaceful relationship with our northern brethren. We're going to build the we wall, just, eh? We just made it sound like it was UFOs. We don't care about keeping the peace <laughs> with our southern brethren. They don't speak the same language. <laughs> we don't speak the same language as the ones north of us either. <laughs> they're majority French speaking. Well, no, <laughs> I have never met a Canadian that spoke French. I mean, they know French, but they don't like fluently speak it. I know they exist, <laughs> but I have not met one. Have you met? A few. But... Yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting episode. around the uh, same general like years. Yeah, same. There's something going on on the Lake Superior. There's a connection there. 
uh-oh, if we get on board and figure out what's going on, we're going to disappear too. <laughs> so if, any of, if our listeners notice that we haven't put out a podcast in a while and we're not responding on Facebook or email. It was the government. It was the government. And let people know. No, what we'll just do is when we discover that information, we'll just release it as, this is a joke. And then we say it like a joke, and then we all go, ha, 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 afterwards. <laughs> but our listeners know us, and so they'll be like, holy shit, they just told us the truth. The government doesn't know us. <laughs> our listeners know us. What, what is it? I, I told you this a few weeks ago. It was, if I go missing, it's either because I uncovered some true conspiracy, or I wandered off with the fae. But do not think I abandoned you. <laughs> yeah. He's still stuck on the, the pug wedgies going, hey, come check this out. He's like, that would be me. Come here. Come over here and check come this out. Oh, where? Come here. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, piece of candy. So you have I can just see a pug wedgie looking at Dave going, hey, I found a leprechaun. Come look at this. I'll show you a leprechaun. Come on. He's like, ooh, a leprechaun? I'm in. <laughs> Son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> Ooh, drive a hard bargain. Let's go. <laughs> there are definitely times that I dig into conspiracies going, and was this going to get me like killed? Oh, I, I hate <laughs> looking into conspiracy stuff. It's like, I'm scared that if I find something, <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> well, and see, they got the perfect cover-up for us. Dave's ex-military. Yeah. Okay, he snaps. He kills his entire family and then kills himself. Government has a clean route. Yep. He's a postman. He just went postal. So if that if that happens, <laughs> it was the government. It wasn't Dave. Just listen, you know you know the truth, listeners. <laughs> Put all these scenarios out so that when they happen, the <laughs> listeners go, "That's not real." We'll get justice for them. Make sure you record this on a non-internet device, so that way, if the government does do this and we take this episode down, you still have proof, man. Go get a cassette tape. <laughs> we know any of you that are over 30 still have them. <laughs> Go get a cassette tape. Go to Goodwill. Buy a tape recorder. And then record this episode <laughs> onto a cassette. <laughs> Mail that cassette to a Zoomer. <laughs> and tell them to give it to their grandmother. And it'll all be taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of cassettes, I have a whole bunch of ca- uh, books on tape and cassette now out in my garage that came from my grandmother's house. <laughs> I, I think I have a cassette player still. So I used I've to have my tempted. tape Walkman for a long time, but I think I finally threw it away. I don't think it works. It's right over there. I'm scared to put them in there because I think the last time I did it broke the, the tape. No. So I'm like, I don't really want to try it. The last but, time you got movies... Or found VHSs from grandmothers. There was porn. So that was the beta. Oh, those yes, betas. Yeah. That was the beta. Beta porn. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you how. At least it wasn't gra- our grandparents' home video. Oh porn. my god. <laughs> beta, beta porn sounds like some weird kink. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there. I was making. I was taking all over because we only had a beta camcorder. So I was. Recording all of our family videos over onto DVD for a Christmas present a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm going through each of these tapes, and most of them are like TV movies that are recorded off TV. Yeah. Or like our grandmother used to record the Disney Channel for us because we didn't have cable. And 
So that's what most of this, the most of these cassettes were. And then I put one in, and sure enough, it's Ron Jeremy getting his dick sucked. And I was like, I didn't need to see that, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I think it was hers. I actually it think it, bl- bl- I think it belonged to our uncle. Yeah, because be a lot of the movies that were in there were his too. So. Yeah. I'm going to say it was his. <laughs> My grandparents didn't watch that type of stuff. God, no. <laughs> oh, man. With Ron Jeremy, I guess uh, you don't even know, do you? He was known as the hedgehog because he could suck his own dick. There's your fun fact for the episode. <laughs> Another fun fact, he's uh, in jail. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, child Oh, a whole stuff. series of crimes. Yeah, he's got rape, a bunch of them on him. Rape and all kinds of stuff, yeah. That's right. He was oh, doesn't do it for me. Let me tell you. But Hulk Hogan does. Only, <laughs> only in my dream. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. You know how much I have been seeing Hulk Hogan on memes and like <laughs> online since we talked about that. Oh yeah, because the government's listening. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, "Here, this is what she wants. She wants some Hulk Hogan." <laughs> no oh, shit. No. I don't know why I'm still laughing so hard. No. <laughs> All right, so let's back to missing persons. All right, so we've been to the sky and we've been to the water. Dave, take us to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Crash and burn, fellas, crash and burn. I dug into the case of Bruno Borges, a 24-year-old philosopher who vanished on March 27, 2017 in Acre, Brazil. Or maybe it's Acre, Brazil. There's a lot to unpack here. Not so much in an investigative true crime sense, but in an occultic and esoteric sense. Ooh. <laughs> Borges's mother, Denise, is a psychologist. His father, Athos, is a businessman. He has a twin brother, Rodrigo, an older sister, Gabriella, and another brother that I couldn't find the name of. Borges loved books and was considered an intellectual. By the time of his disappearance, he had read over 1,000 of them, ranging from the Bible to Shakespeare. Described as kind-hearted, clever, and a born leader with altruistic traits, he had no history of psychological problems and was a student at Unanorte in Rio Branco, studying psychology. He was described as an extremely deep thinker, mostly about the meaning of life. This search for knowledge became an obsession, which completely took over his life. While his family was on vacation, Bruno stayed behind to work on a project, which he had been funding through crowdsourcing. The only details he would give is that he was writing 14 books that would change mankind for the better. When they returned home from a 24-day excursion, which did include a recent lunch meeting with Bruno, they discovered he was missing. When his father went to his room, the mystery only deepened. He had remodeled the entire thing into a shrine full of occult symbolism, secret code, and an eight-foot-tall statue of Giordano Bruno right in the very center. These secret codes, ciphers, and symbols were drawn upon the walls, the floor, and the ceiling. 
These were portions taken from 14 books, each with a different red Roman numeral on a white background engulfing the cover, that were lined on a display case on two sides of the room. The thousands of pages within these tomes were all encrypted and contained symbols and references to the Bible, alchemy, demonology, hermeticism, Leonardo da Vinci, and Giordano Bruno. A couple of surreal paintings hung upon the walls, including one of Borges with an alien. I want you to pause this podcast and go to our Facebook page or our Instagram page and look at these photos of this room, or at least put Bruno Borges' room into an image search engine. B-O-R-G-E-S. I cannot describe this bizarre scene effectively. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Bruno's sister found four keys left behind in order for people to decipher his works inside of a tube hidden in the room. A computer programmer cracked some of the first codes that came from the pictures taken of the room. And with the keys, it read, It is easy to accept what you have been taught since childhood and what is wrong. It is difficult, as an adult, to understand that you were wrongly taught. What you suspected was correct since you were a child. In other words, if you fit into the system, your behavior will be determined, making you at the mercy of beliefs already provided and well-established in dogmas and rituals with the masses, or allowing you to conform, accepting the concept of happiness and meaning of life embedded in the media and society, then clearly you are part of the easy path to the quest for absolute truth. Does it fit the second option, that is? the one who suspected every set of beliefs that was rooted in him, then this one has everything to be an investigator of the truthfulness in things around him, entering in a more complicated way in which a minority he ventures or confronts with bravery. Unquote. Mm. <laughs> the statue of Giordano Bruno was a replica of the one at Campo dei Fiori in Rome. Giordano Bruno was an Italian-Dominican friar, philosopher, mathematician, poet, and cosmological theorist of the 16th -16th century. He is well-known in occultic circles for his unique combination of esoteric knowledge drawn from Hermeticism, Egyptian magic, and the Kabbalah. And his art of memory he learned from ancient Greece peppered throughout his works. He proclaimed theories of the cosmos and extraterrestrial life. He was burned at the stake in 1600 as a heretic by the Inquisition. Scholars that ignore the occultic side of his writings claim he was a martyr for science because he posited the round earth rotated around the round sun, and there were an infinite number of planets in space. When scholarly prejudice against occultism began to fade in the 1960s, the scope and depth of his involvement with the occult became clear. Many people have commented that Bruno Borges and Giordano Bruno look very similar. 
Bruno believed he was the reincarnation of Giordano and worshipped his work. Within one of these encrypted messages found on the walls, the police deciphered a small paragraph which read, For thousands of years, the human being has been trying to find answers to questions such as, What is the meaning of life? The philosophy that seems to have begun with tales of Miletus in the middle of 700 BCE aims to find traces of unanswered questions. The deep search for absolute truth comes from philosophy, and when we talk about easy or difficult paths, we are referring to this type of theorem, unquote. According to detectives, Bruno was last seen wearing a t-shirt, shorts, and was carrying a backpack. After leaving his house, he was seen getting into a cab and was dropped off at a nearby hotel. Behind the hotel, there were traces of a bonfire and five plastic chairs. The chairs were in a circle facing the fire. Four were white, and one was red. That just sounds to me like people were sitting around a fire, and they just grabbed the chairs that they could find. Sounds like coincidence. Yeah. They tracked down the sculptor of the statue, a man by the name of Jorge Rivasplata. The artist moved the half-finished piece to Bruno's room to complete this work. He described filling it with foam, cement, wood, and gravel to make it heavier so it could not be moved. The artist shared text messages he had with Bruno after the work was complete. Bruno said, quote, It's perfect. Couldn't be better. I'm extremely satisfied, Master Rivas. Soon we will introduce it to the world. This work will be known in Accra, in Brazil, and all around the world, unquote. Borges visited a local dressmaker to have three cloaks made. When the dressmaker inquired if they were for church, Bruno responded, almost that. The police and the Borges family believes Bruno was not kidnapped. He had a deep, dark passion that consumed his life. Outside of the family, theories range from him being taken by aliens or experiencing a psychotic break, joining some sort of mysterious cult, and so on. More of the writings on the walls that were released to the public have been deciphered in parts. They read, quote, Since normality presents itself as a rectilinear and uniform pattern, and therefore is the cause of the action of the masses, then those of the easy way are more to it than those of the difficult road. Consequently, the latter tend to be more willing to go astray, going to the extremity of both lucidity and insanity. However, remember that the so-called normal here does not mean exactly positive, but rather alludes to the way people interpret around what is to act acceptable in a society. In addition, this habitual way of seeing normality is tamed to the method instilled by the media and other common-sense participles to how you should manifest in the social environment. In addition, it is convenient to argue the possibility of those who follow the straight standard of normality are added to those of the easy way. 
which in turn results in alienation. However, make it clear that it is not always generalized and can be otherwise productive and beneficial. It is pertinent to argue, first of all, that the extremities are much more plausible to take place. Regardless of the paths to be followed and their maxims, in the continuums, well, they are the extreme point of the two tracks, so it is certainly by them that one of the two peaks can be reached, represented in the figure of this. Unquote. The first volume, the one with the giant red numeral one on the cover, was completely decoded and published in 2017 as Tactiore de Absorque do Conhecamento. Maybe. <laughs> it reached number 24 on the Brazilian bestseller list. <laughs> According to the description found on Amazon, quote, Bruno Borges' first book proposes a methodology capable of enhancing the absorption and creation of knowledge. The author proposes a series of practices and mechanisms that can lead the individual to multiply his knowledge. The theory of knowledge absorption is part of a classical dialectical version. However, it proposes a completely innovative methodology in the way it is explained. Among the practices proposed by Bruno Borges is isolation, which, according to the author, can enhance spirituality and sensory organs to generate insights that produce new knowledge. Bruno has been testing this theory on himself, showing in practice that, with the production of 14 books in a short period of time, it has been possible to enhance his brain in a way not explained by conventional learning methods. According to Bruno, the work is an action that generates the reaction of isolation, passion is an emotion that generates the action of creating, and together with faith, they generate a state of mind capable of transforming human beings and magnifying their creative potential. Unquote. Five months after his disappearance, Bruno returned home. He had sought to find himself on a, quote, mystical journey of the soul, unquote. Isolating himself was part of the project to, quote, find the truth of life and awaken a sick society, unquote. Quote, I had notion that the philosopher's stone was within the dark land. So I went after, entering this dark land to find it in the same way that the hero enters the cave to kill a dragon and that Jonas entered a whale. I also dived into the sea of the unconscious in order to rescue me. Unquote. He concluded that what is plaguing society is a lack of empathy. Quote, I would agree. If we do not seek to know ourselves, we cannot be empathic enough to love our neighbors as ourselves. Without the education that rescues the primordial man and frees him from the veil of the illusion, it is difficult to see himself in the other, and vice versa. As Isaac Newton would say, we build too many walls and too few bridges, unquote. In order to find happiness, 
Bruno says that it is necessary to walk the middle path. Quote, Donating too much is a self-denial, which creates unhappiness. Thinking only of yourself is a possession, which also causes unhappiness. To follow the middle path is to eliminate the word I from the dictionary and include the word we, he emphasizes. Yet he talks about isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to find yourself before you can find empathy. True. And the path to evolution, according to Bruno, is only achieved by seeking knowledge. Quote, No doubt, I say this from experience, I started looking for knowledge a few years ago, and today I feel like someone else. Every time we try to learn something different to our way of thinking, we break an old paradigm. In this way, we are reborn, and so we go up step by step. Let us turn from dead stone to living stone. Darwin would argue that the um, path to evolution is fucking. (laughs) Is fucking. (laughs) I mean, come on, that's how we evolve. It's an interesting case, though, and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and go go check out those those pictures yeah. if you if you haven't already. The pictures remind me of that movie with um, Jim Carrey. Is it Twenty Three? Yeah, yeah. With all the the writing on the walls and stuff. It reminds me of that, and there's another movie. I can't remember what it is. There's a few movies like that, but but like yeah, this person is. Comes out of a coma and his writing covers his like room, like jail cell almost thing, just and full of this ancient writing. And then yeah, I can't remember what movie, I can't remember what show it is, but yeah. Well, I think that he is correct in the sense that we lack empathy as a society. But I also, I mean, I don't know with his disappearance, it kind of leads me down the path that maybe. The way he had his room set up as like a display and then he disappeared would lead me to believe that maybe it was kind of a publicity stunt to get his information out more because mm-hmm. the news is going to cover this. The police are going to be searching yeah, I mean, for him. Stuff in his room was sent out to the public and newspapers. and Yeah. That would be my belief there. I don't doubt that he, while he was gone for five months, he didn't do some isolation and soul searching. If that's the kind of person he was, it would make a lot of sense that he would do that. But I think that that was the overall plan and plot in the five-month disappearance was to promote, basically to get the the free advertising for his book that then released that same year. Yeah. As much as I want to say aliens, I don't think aliens are involved in this case, other than the fact that he's discovered some maybe connection between aliens and humans from the past. Yeah. Which is what something we've done in our podcast <laughs> on its own. Yeah. So. Oh, it's very interesting because part of it does make me seem, think of like a psychotic break. Yeah. But then part of it is maybe he did learn something that his way of trying to get out was... A, public, a publicity stunt of yeah. disappearing and getting this knowledge out there. but And who knows, it could be in the other 13 books that haven't been 
transcribed and released. Yeah. Released, which they might have been. Yeah, <clears throat> I tried to piece it together the best I could with Google Translator because everything's in a uh, Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mean you don't understand Portuguese? No, not me either. Not not to this extent. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I know enough Spanish that I can translate a little bit of spoken Portuguese, like when I hear it. But I could translate like a menu, but like an occultic book. Yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> I can't even understand one written in English. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that he told the the artist that he was going to be famous. Soon the world would know the know know them. Mm-hmm. That lead also led me more to the. This was his plan all along. Yeah. But. Very knows? interesting. It is a very interesting story, and Dave has been sitting on this story for a few months now. He's like, "Can we do this one yet? Can we do this one yet? <laughs> Don't forget, I have this one. <laughs> I know we got to do a missing. We, persons. He forgot he had yeah, it we, for a little we bit. We haven't done a missing persons in so long. So we've done missing persons on land. We've done missing persons on in the on sea and on sky in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. This time we, we got to three. combine all three. All of them. Wow! Well, it's kind of hard to find missing person cases with paranormal twists. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just they're harder to find. Most of it's true crime. Like I was sitting there searching, it's like, oh well, they found them, they were murdered. Oh, they found them, they were you know. Yeah. Um, there were a few cases though that I have back. Set back to cover. And yeah, I've got future one episodes. that I think will probably be its own episode. But. Yeah, outstanding. But yeah, I was sitting there searching through them, and I'm hoping to get started on a missing four one one series for us. Oh, because all the missing four one ones have a little tie to the paranormal. Yeah. So I'm kicking off a new series. Um, it probably won't be released. Um, can consecutively consecutively, but kind of an ongoing thing uh we might start that next week yeah possibly interesting Mm. what could this be what could this be (laughs) well thank you guys for listening be sure to join our facebook instagram twitter and And now our discord Discord. and all at unp normalcy you can search us all for unp normalcy when you go to Facebook, not only like our page, but join our group. And there is a link for the group on the page. Um, that's where, where most, all the fun stuff That's happens. where all the most of the communication happens. I mean, I'll post episode pictures and stuff like that on the page. But most of the, the, the good details are on the group. Um, and be sure to check the show notes for those links. Yes. Yep. And also those links are all in the show notes. Um, also, check out our website, umpnormalcy.com. Um got information on us it's got information on our episodes books merchandise all that fun stuff also don't forget about parabox monthly and get your para paranormal t-shirt sent to you every month if you use the link that is in our description on this episode or it's also on our website follow that link so that we get credit for it then use our promo code paranormalcy at checkout and you get 10 percent off of your order um, and you get really cool, nice quality T-shirts with paranormal information on them, yeah. or paranormal images. Also, as Amy said earlier, don't forget to go check out our uh, website and go to our uh, merch store and yeah. so get yourself some cool UNP normalcy stuff. Get your gear. And 
I think that's going to cover it for this episode. And until next time, keep digging.